0: You're listening to Sobriety with Ari Eastman. Hey, that's me. Well, I finally did it. I started a podcast just like every other person in the universe. Uh, I can't promise that I know what I'm doing. Actually, no, I can promise that I don't know what I'm doing. That is actually the only promise I can give you on here, is that I don't know what I'm doing, and we are here on a journey together figuring it out because that's what life is it's a journey it's a mystery there's only two things we know for sure we are born and we die and everything in between everything in between we figure out along the way uh yeah so that's the energy you have signed up for by by listening to this podcast we're going to talk a lot about recovery and addiction and our brains and how hard it is to be human but we're also going to talk about pop culture celebrity gossip Stupid shit. Because that's how my brain works. Some days it's really heavy. And other days I'm just reading the personal life of a random celebrity on Wikipedia and I'm trying to figure out who they've dated in Hollywood. Have I even introduced myself? Am I so rude? And just assuming the three people listening right now are like, Well, yeah, we know who you are, you don't have to say anything. Well, I do have to say something. Hello. My name is Ari Eastman. I'm a Pisces, born and raised in Sunny. Sometimes so sunny, it actually catches on fire, California, and I have been sober from alcohol since September 2019, 2019, 2019, 2019. Which way is the correct way to say it? Does it matter? No, it doesn't really matter. And now, of course, selfishly, I'm also hoping that this podcast can become just another tool that I have in my toolkit. Tools are things that we use as coping mechanisms to shift our current state of being or deal with trauma or deal process our emotions, and tools can be healthy. You know, you can go to therapy. That's a great tool. Meditation, exercise, nutrition. But then you can also have some unhealthy tools. A lot of people try to regulate their emotions with sex or alcohol or drug usage. And anytime you are abusing a tool in a way that can lead to detrimental effects, you know, it's probably not the healthiest option. I first heard about this toolbox or toolkit concept from Holly Whitaker. And so it's the idea of, of having an arsenal of things that you can turn to. And this was huge for me in the beginning, figuring out some healthy tools to put in my box instead of the more unhealthy ones. It was my first little baby steps into sobriety. I found that a big trigger for my drinking was being bored. Like literally, if I was bored, drinking was a thing to do. And I was really, really lonely. It was actually, it was one of the loneliest times of my entire life. And the thing is, I had good friends. I had a loving boyfriend at the time. I had tight bonds with my family members. I wasn't particularly with my job at the time, but I loved my coworkers. I was still laughing at work and having fun. So on the outside looking in, I shouldn't have been so lonely, but I was. And for me, loneliness tends to fuel my isolation. The lonelier I am, the more I tend to hibernate, the more I actually want to be alone, and the more I push people away and burrow deeper inside myself. So I was in this pattern of getting home from work and immediately drinking just because it was a thing to do. And then I would play The Sims, which I do still enjoy playing, and I actually had to relearn how to enjoy playing The Sims sober, which is maybe one of the cringiest sentences I have ever said but you know maybe that's a podcast episode that we explore. The Sims and sobriety. How does she do it? But yeah basically I would have a bag of chips for dinner and a bottle of wine. I'd finish that and then I'd Postmates myself another bottle and I would just get hammered playing The Sims and like texting people incoherent things that I wouldn't remember in the morning because I would delete all my text threads before going to bed. That was a that was a fun shame habit that I developed in my drinking. Like oh let me just delete everything I said therefore I won't remember it in the morning anymore. Anyway, so it never happened while I'm magic. Problem with this is that you don't delete it from other people's memories. So when they contact you the next day and they want to talk about the thing you said and you don't remember what the thing you said is, guess what? It still causes a shame spiral. The memory of what you said isn't there, but the feeling of guilt... And remorse still is. Oh, I sent you a nude. So sorry. Wrong number. Oops. In the first 30 days of getting sober, I knew my biggest focus had to be just not drinking. That was it. You know, I actually made a lot of plans with people to go to AA, but I never followed through with it because I just, the idea of it gave me so much social anxiety. And uh, guess what? The thing I used to use to self-soothe social anxiety was, (laughs) you guessed it alcohol baby so it just didn't seem like it was a good move for me so i just bombarded myself with like screens and sounds and things so that i could never sort of sit with my thoughts and i don't know maybe that's unhealthy i was already a podcast fan but i became like really obsessed if i was awake a podcast was playing i also rewatched shows that i loved growing up and shows that meant something to me before alcohol had ever entered my life so that was like shows like the oc Desperate Housewives, Grey's Anatomy. Grey's Anatomy has been on TV for 59 years, and I'm telling you, I watched every season on Netflix in that first month of sobriety. So, sure, you could be like, well, isn't that still binge behavior? Like, didn't you just swap one addiction for another? Yes, you could say that, Susan, and guess what? I think you would be correct. At the time, that was my healthier tool. That was in my toolkit. was just podcasts, TV shows, movies, content. Content. Content is king. Content is my recovery content got me sober. That's our first merch, baby. Speaking of Desperate Housewives, I remember having like a spiritual awakening or moment while watching it because, uh, spoiler alert, Bree van de Camp has an alcoholism storyline. And of course, like when I first watched Desperate Housewives, it was like, what, 2004, 2005? I was uh, in middle school. I was young. I was a young, I was a young thing. It was a PYT. It was a pretty young thing. You know, I wasn't relating to it. And so there is um, this episode where Lynette, all my Desperate housewife heads, where are you at? Um, There's this episode where Lynette is suspicious of Bree's drinking and she takes all the empty wine bottles from Bree's recycling bin and actually lines them up outside of Bree's house. I remember watching that and just crying and just thinking, you know, I had such an idea in my head for a very long time of what addiction looked like and what people with addictions looked like. And, you know, I was a very judgmental child and teenager. I didn't drink until I was 21. My friends did and, you know, I I, I was in circles of, of teenagers who, you know, it's like not that, obviously, like teenagers drink and party and, and, and they push the envelope and they push boundaries, like that's not abnormal. But I was always a little bit holier than thou and I always kind of held myself, which is funny because it it never came from any sort of religious upbringing or even like moral high ground i was just so scared i was really scared of substances i was really scared of being out of control i had so much anxiety i've actually gotten way 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 less anxious as i've as i've aged but as a kid i was so scared of everything i mean Driving over bridges would give me a panic attack. Seeing skyscrapers would make me feel uneasy. Not not being in a skyscraper, not like the height, you know, not a height fear. Literally just seeing a skyscraper would give me anxiety. Okay, I had a lot of issues, you know, and, and part of that. Uh, prevented me from drinking or doing anything because I was just so scared. I just was so scared of like what it could do to me and the unknown of it all that I didn't engage in that behavior. And because I didn't engage in that behavior, I think I looked down and judged people who did. And I didn't have a lot of empathy. And I think even though logically I could come from a place of understanding that certain things were diseases, I mean, I understood I'd suffered from anxiety and depression my entire life. So somehow I could rationalize and understand that depression was a disease, that depression isn't something that anybody asked for. It wasn't in anybody's control. And yet when it came to addiction and engaging in substances, I didn't give that same grace and that same empathy and understanding and compassion. From my point of view, from my understanding, it was like, well, I don't do drugs. I don't, I don't drink. So, you know, you don't drink, you don't do drugs. If it's an issue, don't do it. And I couldn't understand how it gets to be in a place where it's a disease and you don't have control. I didn't understand it. And it's funny because I would have never thought that this would be something I would eventually struggle with because I was so, I was so judgmental of it. I was so far removed from it. I remember my high school boyfriend, you know, when we were 18, neither of us drank or, or did drugs and we were both so like oh my god we're just so high on each other which is disgusting i mean that is a crime that we would literally be like we don't need substances love is our substance disgusting we should be tried for our crimes for our crimes against humanity but we looked we looked down upon other people and you know it's like oh honey Sorry, sometimes I just slip into a Samantha Jones and I can't help it, but I just want to grab younger me by the shoulders and be like, Oh honey, buckle up. Alcoholism is in your future back to desperate housewives. So, I'm watching this, you know, Bree Van de Kamp alcoholism storyline and, you know, Bree, it's interesting. She she has the most character growth, I think, in the show. You know, she starts as this very 1950s prototype of the perfect homemaker housewife. She's all about the cooking and the cleaning and the it's all about, you know, um, appearances and, and everything and it's interesting as the show progresses and we see you know they all all the ladies have a glass of wine and then you see her kind of you know every time something stressful happens or she has this very perfect facade that she doesn't want to let crack and then you'll see her you know reach for a glass of wine and, and then you just see her start to drink more and more and more and I think that they actually do a really good job with it and um I remember just watching it when other people are starting to discover that something's going on that there's an issue and you know she is refusing to see it and I just was like bawling my eyes out and it was really helpful to to have it on screen because it was like, yes, I wanted to, I wanted to numb out and I wanted to kind of escape everything and just focus on TV and pop culture and whatever I could. But Brie has to get her life together and Brie has to, you know, get sober. And I, I was like, oh, I'm getting sober with Brie. Brie and I are getting sober together. I think rewatching characters from TV shows that I loved growing up, watching them struggle with addiction. Oh, uh, Richard Weber, Grey's Anatomy, another great example, Um, watching and rooting for them to get sober and understanding that these characters although they are fictional it it flipped a switch and I I started being able to give myself that love and and other people and that's been actually the biggest gift I will say that this whole thing has given me is like a lot of empathy because things don't look the way you expect them to you don't know what someone's going through you don't know uh what's happened in their life and um you know just having having a lot of radical empathy for people I think is important. I also gravitated towards podcasters like Mark Maron and Dax Shepard, who were, you know, so open about their alcoholism. And I think that that is why it's so important to continue having conversations, both with real people sharing stories in like fictional portrayals in tv and film because we are a pop culture obsessed society so you know when we can love and care about someone that we see on a screen it gives us a point of reference it allows us to hear and see different perspectives and and most powerfully We get to see our own experiences projected back to us. And isn't that the most healing thing? Like that is, you know, when you see what feels like your dark, gross, most shameful secret or moment that has to be unique to you, you know, like, oh, you're just a piece of shit. Like no one else feels this way or or has done this thing. Like you're just a unique piece of shit. And then seeing, no, you're not alone. You're not alone in any of this. That's powerful. And that's been one of my biggest tools. Entertainment that not only entertained me, but reminded me that I wasn't alone. So, you know, even though I was self-isolating, especially in the beginning, even though I was lonely, even though I wasn't ready to tell the people that I loved how much I was hurting and that I wasn't okay, I had podcasts. I had TV shows. I had audiobooks and Instagram accounts and content I could turn to that reaffirmed I wasn't alone. That's my hope here. That's my hope of what we can do here. I don't know. Like I said, this might just be another tool for my own personal toolbox. You know, first I was consuming the content. Now I'm making the content. The machine continues. The content, it never ends. It's a circle of content. But that's my hope. That's that's my hope. Whether or not this ends up just being another thing for me, that this can be a place where, you know, we talk about stuff. We talk about... <sighs> I gotta say, never would have thought that I'd be sober throughout a global pandemic. I mean, I didn't really have global pandemic on my bucket list of things I would like to um, experience, but, you know, here we are. That's another uh, powerful thing that recovery has taught me is that, you know, you just got to take it one day at a time. That's all you can do. That's all we're promised. So what are the takeaways of this podcast? Um... Content is good, content is great, and Brie Vandekamp helped me uh, stay sober. All right, see you guys next week. Bye.